Welcome back to the Gospel Fluency Podcast. We are in the Clock Tower Centre with John and Catherine. How are you guys going? Going great. Morning. A little tired, but <laughs> you know. We're here. We're here. Well done. Uh, we are continuing to uh, a little kind of four-part uh, mini-series, I guess, on redemption and how redemption applies into four worldviews or paradigms um, that are, um, is r- are really common in our society and culture. Last week we looked at um, guilt innocence and today we're looking at honor shame. So a good question to start with, when have you felt the most embarrassed? <laughs> <laughs> well, mm, there have been many times, uh, but one that stands out in my memory, I was in my early 20s, I guess, um, at a pub, at a gig with um, one of my good friends and her husband. And there was this guy there playing the gig and um, I recognised him and realised he was this boy from high school who was in the year above me and I had a massive crush on him so much so that I walked into a door once when I was love doe-eyed staring at him when I was about 14. And um, yeah, Brian, the love of my high school years, he had no idea I even existed. You're, you're out there, Brian. Yeah, <laughs> <Shout out>. that's right. <laughs> He had no idea I even existed, but somehow my best friend's husband, you know, put it together, realised this was this guy. So um, halfway through the gig when they were having a break, he went up to this guy, Brian, and said, Brian, this is Kat. When she was at high school, she had a massive crush on you. And then he just walked off. My, my, <laughs> and I was stuck there with Brian and Brian just kind of looked at me and we both felt a bit awkward. And then, to make me feel even more embarrassed, he just went, yeah, i got to be somewhere else now. And just walked off. Brutal. Utter shame. Brutal. Total rejection. <laughs> John, um, can you top this? I'll try. Uh, in year eight, we would often jump uh, this, oh, it was probably two and a half metre fence. Uh, to go to the milk bar around the corner or the fish and chip shop. And one day when I was halfway up the fence, one of my good friends who really cared about me decided to dack me <laughs> and pull my pants all the way down to my ankles. And so I was stuck up on this fence, <laughs> unable to move because my legs were caught <laughs> in place. And the only way I could get down from the fence was to let go and just fall on the floor in a heap uh. with my pants around my ankles. <laughs> Pretty embarrassing. That's great. Yeah. Well, um, uh, I still feel ashamed of this one to this day. It it makes me feel, you know, terrible to think about. It's when I was 13. And you'll laugh at me because it doesn't seem that bad. But for for me, it was was such a big deal. So I was about to turn 13 and I was really excited. Becoming a teenager, I felt like I was becoming an adult. And Mm -hmm. adult was responsibility and, you know... Um, someone who could, you know, make decisions and do the, you know, be mature and that sort of thing. So I was really, really excited by this. I was going to turn 13. And I thought I really linked that um, being a teenager and moving towards adulthood and driving 
as like two really connected things for me, right? Now, I knew I couldn't get my L plates till I was 16, but I thought on my 30th birthday, I thought I'm going to get into mum and dad's car. And what I'll do is I'll just practice changing gears. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, our house <laughs> had a very steep driveway. <laughs> and um, my parents, whoever had previously driven the car, had not put the handbrake on properly. <laughs> so it was in park. So I moved it out of park in a minivan <laughs> and immediately the car rolled backwards down this very steep driveway across the road and smashed the neighbor's um, brick wall <laughs> and letterbox to bits. <laughs> it was a, a miracle that the car didn't flip actually mm. uh, because one wheel went up the brick wall and the others went down the brick wall. Yeah. So it was a total miracle. I was so devastated. <laughs> Not just because I'd done, you know, had caused serious, um, you know, property damage, mm. but because I'd linked it to being a mature adult mm. who didn't do those sorts of dumb things. <laughs> um, and uh, for years and years and years to this day, I still feel a, a, a twinge of shame when I think about it. Yeah. So, there you go. on a shame. It's mm. a big one. It's a big one. Um, Talk us through, Catherine, you've done a bit of work on this one. What is an honour-shame paradigm and how does that work itself out? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, um, uh, honour-shame paradigm, uh, at one level, uh, as Christians, we can know that each of us are made to be social beings um, because we bear the image of God, actually. Um, God is... In, in himself, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, always and forever in community. Mm. He is not just isolated. Uh, and because we bear his image, we also um, seek to be, want to be and live in community across the world. You'll see that that's the normal practice of his image bearers. Um, John, any other thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting. I think we kind of, that's how we find our our place, our sense of worth, right? It's like, it's pretty much only in relationship to others. That's how we understand who we are, it's how we relate to other people. And so I think in traditional societies, um, you know, me coming from a Vietnamese background, it's all about your tribe, mm-hmm. all about your family, all about that extended family within your network. Mm-hmm. And that sense of belonging to that particular tribe is what actually gives your life meaning. It's what you contribute to that community that actually gives you a sense of, of worth, you know? Mm. Yeah, and I think, like, maybe in, in Australian society that's different. I wouldn't say it's less so because there are different things that people um, attach their sense of belonging to, right? Whether it's, like, the local footy club or the parents' association out in our neighbourhood or different hobby or interest groups. Like, people naturally want to group themselves together in some way to find a sense of where do I fit in the world? Mm. Yeah. Mm. What do you think, Pete? Yeah. So um, we, we, we seem to create for ourselves or groups create for themselves identity markets, right? To, yeah. So that we know whether we are or other people are in or out. Mm-hmm. Um, certain ways of behaviour or even ways of dressing or, uh, or um, certain activities or places that uh, are 
um, indicators for that particular group that these people are in and then to depart from those norms is to say, well, now you're out. Um, and we seem, yeah, and th this happens uh, you know, kind of across the board in, in basically anywhere that people can group together, whether in uh, embodied, you know, in the sense of like a family or a neighbourhood or even online as well. We, mm. we see this and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Mm. Um, uh, and those who are in are, are honoured, they're, they're lauded and therefore their se sense of self-worth is elevated. Mm. Um, but then you're out and you're sh you, know, you feel not only a sense of shame yourself, but others shame you mm. um, to make you, uh, um, I guess, feel the weight of being out as well and, and feel a sense of, of, um, of being excluded. And mm. humans can be pretty terrible, actually, in how we do that to people. Mm. Um, it's interesting to compare it to a guilt innocence framework, right? As well, because these they're, they're not mutually exclusive; they actually interact with each other. Mm. But it seems like guilt innocence is far more about what you do, mm. and and whether or not you have to pay a price, consider um, de depending whether you're innocent or guilty, right? Mm. Well, honor shame seems to be far more about who you are. Mm. It's about identity and about a sense of your own value within a community. Mm. The Bible um, talks heaps about honor shame. Mm. Um, it is a, the Bible is written in, in a Middle Eastern, ancient Near Eastern um, uh, cultural uh, uh, environment. And, you know, to this day, it's, it's huge, you know, um, emphasis on honor and shame. So not surprisingly, the Bible talks heaps about it. Uh, Kat, talk us through... Uh, our stories so far and how this fits in. Mm, yeah, sure. Uh, well, let me tell you a story. Tell, let me tell you the story of salvation, uh, creation, fall, promise, redemption. Um, that hopefully resonates with someone who uh, lives in an honour-shame paradigm. So in the beginning, God, who has existed for all time and is pure, He's faithful, he's glorious, he's the source of all true honour. This God, he created the world and everything in it. He created people and he loved them. He looked after them as, his, as their honourable king and their generous father. He shared his honour with them by making them co-regents to reign over his creation and by bringing them into his family and giving them his name. Um, having someone's name is a huge honour. And they lived in this shame-free relationship with him to such an extent that we read in um, Genesis 2, verse 25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Yeah, but then these people were disloyal to their honourable God. Rather than basking in the honour that God gave them, they sought to earn their own honour. They believed the lies of the serpent um, that they could be like God. So they sinned and they dishonoured God. As God's children and co-regents, they didn't um, only bring shame on themselves, but this, this behaviour also brought shame on him and caused God to lose face. Because of this, they felt ashamed of their nakedness now and they hid from God. They couldn't stay in their honourable relationship with him anymore because of the dishonour it brought to him. And so to preserve his dignity, God banished them. We, the rest of us humans, we inherit their shame. 
It's like we're the children of the village exile or prostitute or thief. We're seen to be dirty, smelly, dejected, outcast. Yet even in banishing them, we see um, that God covers their shame by giving them clothes to cover their bodies. Clothes that cost the life of an animal that required blood to be shed so that their shame can be covered. As Adam and Eve leave the garden, they're clothed with animal skins. And he continued to honour his people. He promised um, a childless man called Abram that he would not only honour him with children, but also a great name, a great land and a nation. And with this great nation that we know as Israel, God made a covenant and planned to bless and bring honour to the whole world through them. But again, they didn't live up to their side of the covenant and like Adam, they brought shame on God. They refused to share the honour God gave them with others. They tried to keep it all to themselves and create a tight little in-group. And they rejected their special relationship with God and tried to cover their shame through alliances with worldly powers and through having their own earthly kings. God offered them heaps of opportunities, but they kept falling short of his standard and bringing shame on him and themselves. And so... One day, he undertook the biggest rescue plan to save humans from shame and restore their honour. Instead of continuing to ask humans to live up to God's standard, he sent his own son to do it for them. Jesus came and brought honour to God in everything he did. And he also um, brought honour to other people. We see in Jesus' life that he honoured the weak, the vulnerable, the marginalised. He honoured people from different nations and ethnic groups um, and people that were seen as dishonourable by the Israelites. Um, and he, sh- he showed us this by being willing to sit with them, eat with them, heal them. Uh, he included and welcomed them into his life and what he did. Jesus' earthly ministry... Um, went against the cultural norms of the day, however, and it brought disgrace to the earthly authorities. They felt dishonoured by him. Since they had the power and he'd embarrassed them, they responded. Um, They um, were disgraced and embarrassed by how he acted and the claims that he made. And so they responded by condemning him to a shameful death, the most shameful death that they could think of, death on a cross. This was all part of God's plan, however. God in Jesus came to earth and bore all our shame to restore all our honour. When Jesus suffered a disgraceful death on a cross, he was shunned and abandoned as We sing in the song, The Father Turned His Face Away. Someone had to bear the disgrace that we deserve, and Jesus did. Jesus' blood was shed so that our honour could be restored. God recognised this sacrifice that Jesus made and honoured him by raising him up from the dead and restoring him to the most honoured place at his right hand. And Jesus now reigns with God forever. And so for us, because of Jesus, we humans have followed in the shame, even though we've followed in the shame and disgrace of the first humans by seeking our own glory and dishonouring God, Jesus, um, can be, uh, Jesus has allowed us to be restored to a place of co-regents and children of the Most High God. 
Because Jesus bore our shame and disgrace, we can be brought back to a place of honour. In Romans 18, 8, sorry, verse 17, it says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. Because of Jesus, because he took our shame and disgrace, we can be returned to a place of honour and be returned to become be children of God. All we have to do is acknowledge that we can't earn this honour ourselves and trust that Jesus has by taking all our shame upon him. So that's a way of mm. sharing the gospel. It's good. Um, that perhaps resonates more with people who uh, live in an honour-shame paradigm. Uh, what do you guys mm. think? Yeah, it's so helpful. And um, like, I think we all live in this paradigm, actually. Mm. Um, mm. Like, for a long time, it was seen as, uh, well, maybe particularly for Eastern cultures. I think that's true, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, I think that even in our modern, very secular Western culture, like, honour shame is a big deal. Just because we can all think of stories of feeling, you know, embarrassed or, or excluded. And think about, like... Um, even as, you know, we've all got stories of being in primary school where we, and I, I even see this in my son's childcare where um, they've recently come to like calling certain people best friend and then saying to other kids, you're not my best friend. Oh. Like straight away, we've hit an honor shame paradigm, yeah. right? Where there's a included group um, and an excluded group. And I mm. feel one group of kids feels great about themselves being in the included one. And the way they know they're included is because others are excluded. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got to work with my son on this. Um, so uh, we live this every day, I think, um, and it's, it's so interesting. Uh, where do we see this? Uh, where do you guys see this in, um, in the life, life around you? Mm. Uh, where does it resonate strongest for you? Yeah. I couldn't help thinking, um, and this was true of me in a past life, uh, of the online gaming community and of uh, particular different games you know there's a diff there's different ways to tell how honorable a player is or how worthy they are of ad your admiration right um so the, you know they usually it's to do with their win loss ratio and that's the measure of how um how a person should be honored and it's not as you said before it's not a matter of guilt innocence based on their performance it's actually a judgment a statement of judgment upon their worth mm. as a person. Mm. And so uh, I fell off the online gaming train after a while because I couldn't maintain that honourable image. Mm. I couldn't keep uh, a win-loss ratio that was above um, 50%, mm. you know, and so I, I kind of was shunned in the eyes of that community anyway. Mm. But it was, it was just a really um, interesting and quite obvious, actually, image mm. of this whole sense of, like, honour and shame. You know, mm. I was constantly, repeatedly called a noob mm. online. Mm. And that's because of that, because mm. of those numbers. Yeah. Mm. What about you, Kat? Where do you see it? Hmm. I think uh, two places. I think in my own life, um, in terms of the shame and the impact of that, as opposed to guilt, um, because I think, you know, traditionally we think, well, we live in a guilt-innocent society, so I should, it should be guilt. But actually it's the shame of my sins 
that inhibits my ability to admit them mm. or especially to other people um, rather than the guilt because, as you said at the beginning, Pete, shame is much more about who I am mm. rather than what I've done. I can mm. admit that I, yep. you know, yep. that I was a bad parent today and did that, like, mm. did a bad bit of parenting, but I can't admit that um, I am inherently a bad parent like I am just always I'm never a good person I can say that I've done something bad but not that I am something bad Mm. so um yeah I guess in myself I recognize it there I think in culture we see it a lot um uh, there's a big shift towards it in our culture which we see with cancel culture a lot Mm. um I remember and and also with the me too movement stuff um you see people being called out for being sexist or much, much worse than just being sexist, actually perpetrating Mm. uh, harmful acts against women. Mm. Um, But their their guilt was determined before there was any judicial intervention. There was no law Mm. court that they went before. Um, Now, a lot of them, I think, eventually did go before a law court and were found guilty, Mm. but, but in society we judged them guilty, we condemned them as acting shamefully um, and that's that's the law court of public opinion which mm. is much more something that comes up in uh, on a shame cultures and I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, because yeah, it's not just about you very um, technically broke a law or not broke a law. Mm. Like it, it mm. includes that but it's more than that. It's... Mm. it's uh, it's a statement about who you are and, and therefore we will push you to the margins mm. um, and excu- exclude you from society <laughs> because yeah. of this. Um, yeah. It almost comes into like, as well, like purity uh, as well and that kind of yeah. thing. So in the Bible we see like um, um, uh, people, ritual purity being a big deal. So lepers, um, people experiencing ritual impurity were pushed to the margins, pushed outside the city, forced to live by themselves as excluded. And so I think we, as a culture, we come up with all sorts of new rules around purity and around what is acceptable um, and then govern that ourselves, actually. Um, Far from any actual judicial processes or anything like that. We just make decisions based on who's got the loudest voice about what is in what is out? Mm-hmm. I think I can observe this pretty um, obviously in terms of organisational culture and particularly mm. in response to, like, say, the Me Too movement and that sort of thing where organisations have rolled out all this uh, training and quite obviously um, branding themselves as a safe workplace and that sort of thing. And those things are, like, really good things to do, mm. right? Like, Absolutely. we should be providing a safe workplace for people um, that's free from sort of any sort of abuse or harm, that sort of thing. But I think there's also this thing of organisations now having to keep up with one another and for them to be um, in the counted in the in crowd and people will want to do business with them, well, they will have to conduct themselves in a particular way. Mm. And so this is a way for them yeah. to maintain that sort of honourable image, right? Mm. It's like we are doing everything that we can yeah, yeah. To, to name and to um, shame, you know, abusive, um, that sort of thing. Mm. So I think that's a really fascinating way in which things have just shifted. Um, and then so you see like these signs popping up. They're kind of like, the, like you were saying before, Pete, these like identity markers of this is how I will show that I'm in. 
you know, there's these stickers on the door or yeah, at reception yeah. and that sort of thing, yes, yes, you know. That's right. You've got a sort of an arbitrary person nominated to be like <laughs> the safe workplace person, yeah, yeah. you know, that sort of stuff, right? Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Like there's, there's things in our society which are legitimately shameful and people should be shamed for, actually, uh, because they're evil and we can cause immense mm. damage. But it's almost like we... It's, it's not enough to say that that's shameful. We have to make it very clear why w- other people, ourselves, are honourable. <laughs> and so almost in response to that, we've got to level up our own honour mm. in order to make it very, very clear that that's shameful and we have nothing to do with that. And so this is not all bad, um, and but actually not all good either as we, as humans, overlay these extra expectations on ourselves and others. Mm. Yeah. Of course, um, the church is not immune to this. <laughs> um, the church is a group. It's a society. It's a community. And so despite the teachings of Jesus, which make it very clear that he was radically inclusive and radically honouring of those who society saw as shameful um we fall into these traps as well really easily have you guys seen that experienced that or have um things to say about how yeah the church can can be involved so i am a parent of young children (laughs) and they can be quite noisy sometimes (laughs) and often they're at their noisiest when they should be their quietest and that shows up on a Sunday when we're in church. Um, and there's this kind of sense of, oh, if I want to be seen as a good parent, then I need to keep my kids quiet in church. Mm. Um, and being able to do that might ensure, my, uh, ensure me belonging in this community, you know. Um, of course, our community is full of grace and very accepting of my very loud children and loving towards them. But you still, I don't know, I still feel this sort of expectation that I've got to do this as a way to preserve uh, my image as a good parent in the eyes of others. But I think and there's an ugly side to that, right, that Christians can impose uh, expectations and standards which are far beyond what Jesus prescribed in his teachings uh, or um, prescribe that you should dress a certain way or look a certain way or even um, have to live up to a certain moral standard before you can belong. Uh, and I think the, the ministry, the life, the teaching of Jesus directly challenges that, right? We see him associating with the lowest, most dishonorable members of society mm. and welcoming them into the family of God, giving them a place to belong. Uh, and I think that is something that ought to deeply challenge the church, I think, mm. because we have not always um, honoured Jesus, frankly, mm. Mm. with the way that we've conducted ourselves in that regard. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think uh, the <coughs> the church can be, yeah, super judgmental. I, mean, I think I particularly see it in our kind of tribe, I guess, evangelicals, um, where we have a, a high degree of... Um, expectations around uh, change and transformation. We want people to follow Jesus, right? We want people to be mm. changed. We want people to achieve um, higher levels of um, moral practice and 
uh, doing the right thing and um, uh, evangelism and all sorts of things, right? And that's good. Like, that's part of being um, uh, like a, an, an evangelical. Like, we think the gospel changes things, right? Mm. It's the, um, uh, and yet, it's pretty easy for that to just slightly, slightly, slightly tweak, <laughs> be tweaked, um, to be uh, you are more honorable if you act a certain way. Mm. If you believe certain things, yeah. act a certain way, and um, and align yourself with particular um, uh, uh, ways of seeing life or going about life or making certain decisions. And it's slightly tweaked from um, the grace of Jesus empowers us uh, to be transformed by the Spirit, um, uh, not because so that we can get honour, but because we have been honoured and because we've been raised with Christ at the heavenly places, you know, all this sort of thing, but rather um, as a way of not feeling like, uh, not, not, not expecting that what we do or living a certain way or achieving certain standards makes us right with God, but certainly makes us feel right with God. And so the, it's easy to then look down at others who um, haven't achieved that certain level or haven't got to that certain, that, that, the place that, that we have got and so look down at others and look at others uh, above us actually with envy almost and going well if, mm-hmm. if only I was able to have that kind of prayer life or uh, that kind of ministry then then maybe I'd feel on it maybe then I would have made it some for something like that I think yeah yeah mm. so we're not immune mm. I think we're also uh, on the positive side I suppose mm. just to flip the rolls around yeah. here a little bit um i think we also though have the most powerful uh framework for understanding the inherent honor of everybody mm. uh, in in that we are all regardless of whether we're even christian let alone evangelicals we're all created in god's image every single human being um i don't think i think that's a, a truth that a lot of other people sort of lean on um, in Western society at least. Um, but, yeah, that, that truth claim is really powerful and therefore mm. understanding that everybody is deserving of honour because of that um, mm. should strip away a lot of our in-groups and out-groups and mm. remind us that actually everybody's in the in-group. Yeah, yeah, that's right and that's powerful. Um, there's a there's a level of honor which um, gives uh, immense value and weight to every human being, um, regardless of whether they are in the yeah the in group or the out group actually, whatever way you see that, um, and then even more so for Christians to say, wow, I am fully accepted by God. It's an easy statement to say. It's harder to feel the weight of that. That for all my deep sinfulness god says over me i fully accept you i fully love you um in fact i accept you and love you the same to the same measure that i accept and love christ himself like the son of the son Mm. uh and that that his honor is our honor Uh, and so out of that yeah we can um uh when we when we feel ashamed um, we've got, I guess, a lens through which to, to view that shame, right? And there might be things that, for which we need to go to God in confession, for, and you know, 
um, and and ask for his forgiveness and and ask to uh, to be to be restored actually, but it's not out of a place that I have to work my way back into God's grace. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's no. I've, I've always been in God's grace. I've always been honoured. Um, I've always been accepted, and so uh, now I can live out of that and feel a confidence of that, and and therefore, um, yeah, uh, give immense honour to others. Um, uh, because I don't need to play the, the pecking order game. Mm. I don't need to look down on others in, um, in judgmentalism and up to others in envy. Um, I can actually be super confident in who I am as a beloved child of God. Uh, any final thoughts, guys? Not from me, John. I'm just sitting here thinking about how seeing the gospel through this particular lens of honour and shame actually really speaks to me personally. Um, being someone who really struggles with a sense of um, acceptance and wanting that acceptance and approval from mm. others, actually just how transformative this is and it ha- how transformative it can be mm. for our lives when we actually grasp that we are fully honoured and accepted and loved by God because of Jesus. Mm. Um, and just the confidence that that can bring about in our lives to as you were saying, Pete, deal with some confronting stuff, some difficult stuff, um, but from a place of the utmost love and acceptance, knowing that that'll never be lost. Mm. That'll never be taken away based on our ability to perform or measure up or be good enough. You know, I think that's something that's deeply mm. powerful. It's really good. Yeah. It's great. Well, thank you, friends. Um, we will be back next time. Uh, with part three of redemption as we look at fear and power. Um, uh, Something a little bit different. Looking forward to it. See you then. See ya.